I too want to thank you for choosing to join us today, whether you're online or on campus. And it's really good to see you today. And uh, we are in part two of Happy How. And uh, this is, these are times where our sense of happiness has been challenged. And uh, we need specific instructions from God that will help us out. Uh, today's topic is from Psalm 2, and in Psalm 2, we're looking at how to be happy when you are rage, when the whole world is filled with rage, and uh, that gets to be a little bit more difficult to be happy when there's rage all around you, and what you see is rage. Uh, to me, we read in Psalm 2 things that address that specifically, and I just think, oh my, this is relevant today, is it not? Yes, thank you, Gina, my lovely dear wife. I'm glad that you're in my corner. All right. Yes. Yeah, we have uh, just been blasted with our senses uh, all about us with rage that's uh, spinning out of control seemingly here and there and everywhere and over a course of time. And it's interesting that in Psalm 2, it addresses with the questions, why do the nations rage? Now, it's an interesting question with some answers in it. And we'll be looking at that together. Uh, but what I would like to do is we're going to go through a large section of this psalm, kind of looking at how it's uh, put together a little bit. And we'll answer the happy how in some specifics towards the end as we go piece by piece by piece after we see the, the whole. Um, but I want to kind of give the end target what we finish with so we can see that this all fits together under the topic how to be happy. So in Psalm 2.12, that's the last verse of Psalm 2, we read this, pay homage to the Son, we'll be talking about that, all who take refuge in Him are happy. Now in this particular psalm, there's two major categories of people, and the categories are basically the trusters and the ragers, okay? And so the trusters are the ones that are going to uh, be happy. They're taking refuge in the Son, they're taking refuge in the Lord, and they're finding uh, great blessedness there, happiness there. And we're going to see how that works and see how to make it work in our own lives as our own uh, sense of blessing, our own sense of happiness is being challenged, um, perhaps on a daily basis and perhaps even in a seasonal way. And uh, before we jump into the psalm, I just want to say that last week we focused on Psalm 1 and that was... Uh, from a perspective of individualistic perspective, so uh, how to be happy as an individual, all of the focus was on the individual who meditates on the Lord, is the one who's blessed, that's happy, and the individuals who mock and do not focus on the Lord, they're the ones that are going to be troubled, and they think they're happy, but they're not, and that was kind of an individualistic look. Psalm 2 is different in that the majority of it is more of an international look with an individualized uh, application, okay? And so we're going to learn the individual's application as we take a look of a, at an international psalm with raging taking place internationally 
And the scope or perspective is even broader than that in that it is looking at God's control over international events, even beyond the now, but his control over international events through the scope of history. And we're going to see specifically prophecy and promise and where we take refuge in what God says is going to make all the difference because we don't need to feel like it's all spinning out of control. He is still on his throne and he is going to call the shots and he's going to declare his promise and he's going to bring things about according to his plan in the scope of history as well as for us individually in the middle of the swirling mess that we find ourselves in. So that's kind of an overview before we jump right into the psalm. So, point number one is what the ragers say. This psalm is broken up into four different sections with quotes in the sections. And so if you are looking at our version outline that's on our version events, you can take a look at that right now, but if not, just follow along. And we're going to look at how there are quotes from the different people in the first uh, people we hear quotes from after the question from the narrator is a quote from the ragers themselves. Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Now here's the quote from the ragers. Let's tear off their chains and throw off, throw their ropes off of us. Okay? So the kings and the nations are raging against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. That's what the ragers are saying. Now what I'd like to do, though, is point our, your attention to the word plot. And the people's plot in vain. I discovered something in studying this, this go-round, that I had never known before. Last week, we focused on the word meditate. Now, it's the uh, biblical way of meditating. Blessed is the one who meditates day and night on the instruction from the Lord. So it's literally thinking about an object of truth the truths of God's statements and instructions and, and committing that to your thinking process and centering your lives around that. Blessed is the one who meditates. Here's the surprise. This word plot is that same word, meditate. But this time, it's meditating on all the wrong stuff. Are you following me? Why do the nations rage and the peoples meditate on all the wrong stuff in vain, okay? They're, what are they meditating on? They're starting to meditate on and, and plot and rage over uh, errors and falsehoods. They're causing them great angst, and that angst is directed at God and his anointed king. And we're going to discover that it's not just his anointed king at the time of the writing or in history, but eventually against all of God's people, and the anointed one who is the anointed Messiah. And we're going to discover that in this psalm as well. Now, the ragers are saying... <laughs> now, as, before we move on, I just want us to pause. 
because last week we focused on all the right things you're supposed to meditate on. And let me just say, we already talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, we talked about how if you meditate on the wrong things, you're going to have trouble. So you've got to choose what you're thinking about. And here, I want you to just drop this into your thinking. You've heard of parents who helicopter over their children, helicopter parents, all right? Let's think of our thought process as helicoptering and hovering over specific thought processes. What we helicopter over in our thinking, what we hover over in our thought processes, where we continue to take our thoughts and think will cause us to get to this place where you're negatively plotting and even raging if you're thinking about the wrong things. And we addressed this last week, um, and I encouraged you all to consider the Netflix 2020 video that's on Netflix right now, uh, and consider that video. Now, unfortunately, I have heard back that some people thought they could find this video on something other than Netflix, and there are apparently other videos by the same title that's not this video, and they're very, very disturbed that I would recommend such a video. Um, so I want to make sure on the screen there's a picture. This is the Netflix film. It came out in 2020. You can't find it on YouTube. Okay, if you're watching something on YouTube, it's something else. And you need to watch the Netflix Social Dilemma video. So if you see something and it's really disturbing, this is disturbing. But if you think, Jim recommended this, I can't believe you recommended this, it probably is the wrong one. <laughs> I just needed to say that because several people watched the wrong one. Okay? But I still recommend this. It is disturbing in terms of how we're being shaped to helicopter and hover over thoughts that we think is truth and they're not. It's not truth. And it's causing us to plot and rage and start to become a part of the problem and we're getting ourselves in trouble. Ragers say, we want to be free. We want to be set free from the chains. We want to be set free from the ropes that bind us. And notice they're saying this against God's king. And so they're saying, I want to rule my own life. This is the original sin, Adam and Eve. I want to reign over my own life, choose my own way, become my own king, my own boss. And they listen to the tempter instead of God himself says, don't do this. I want to do this. As soon as you go, I want to do this anyway, when God says, don't do this, you're already becoming your own king, your own little kingdom, and it's a rebel raging kingdom, and you're on the way to not being happy. Is that, that's about as clear as I can make it. And so that raging mentality is in all kinds of things in our culture where it wants to throw off God, throw off God in our educational system, throw off God in our political system, throw off God in everything he says about what is culturally true today. Oh, that's old-fashioned. That can't be right. We just throw that away. Be careful because then you start raging against God and running your own life and choosing your own moral code and whatever you think and you're going to be in trouble along with the ragers because you are plotting, meditating, hovering over the wrong thoughts. And we need to meditate over God's thoughts. So what the ragers say. Point number two, what the Lord says. What the Lord says. We continue on, start picking up at verse four. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Here's his quote, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now, Zion is another way of labeling Jerusalem. 
and he has installed his king in Jerusalem. And this is true for the ragers in David's day. It's true for the ragers in the day uh, the Messiah shows up, which is the fulfillment of this. It's true today that he has installed his king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now, ragers raise their rebellious fists. Now, I want you to just put this picture in your mind. Picture, you couldn't even see them, but you, in your mind's eye you can, if the whole platform was filled with tiny little ants, uh, all about my feet, raging against me, and raging with their raised ant fists at me. Which, if I looked and saw them raging and squeaking their voices of rage, it would make me laugh. Right? And that's kind of what we read here. And then, speak terrifying words. My first words, my temptation would be, boo! (laughs) And then they'd go, oh, we better stop raging at him. Because I have the power to... Stomp them out. All right, there's the picture that we're reading right here. And at first, it's just humorous. And I I would think that in this case, it's really, really a good thing that God has a sense of humor. He laughs. The Lord ridicules. But that sense of humor eventually will cross into another phase Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Why are you acting as if you're without a king? Why are you acting as if you yourselves are sovereigns? So this is what the Lord says. Point number three. Now we read what the king says. This is interesting. I will declare the Lord's decree. So we just heard the Lord's decree. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now we hear another voice saying, I will declare the Lord's decree. He, the Lord, said to me, who's the me? He, the Lord, said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, I'm not sure we know who... This psalm was written by, uh, suppose it's written by David. David is now declaring that the Lord said to him, I'm making you my son. I'm going to uh, make you king, but you're not a self-sovereign. You're sovereign under me, and you are going to be like my son as king. And then he, he continues to quote, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So who is saying that? The Lord is saying that, but the king is quoting it. Whatever the, whatever the Lord says is going to happen, which gives David this incredible confidence as the nations are raging, right? He can just say, the Lord said, and so he can settle in the confidence that he has installed his son. Now David also knows that this is a prophecy about a son that's going to be installed, that's going to be the forever Messiah that's going to reign forever. And so you could say, the Messiah says, you are my, is quoting, the Lord says to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. And this statement is truest, truest, it's the very truth about the anointed king, Messiah, who was to come when this was written. Okay? Now, he has come. Jesus is that Messiah, and he has been promised that you are my son. Ask of me, and you will come and judge. We are not there yet, thank goodness, but time is running out, and we need to make sure we choose sides. Are we going to be on the side of the ragers, or are we going to be on the side of the trusters? That's kind of the issue here. And so we need to choose sides. Point number four, what the trusters say. I'm going to read all the way to the end of the psalm now, and then we'll go piece by piece by piece. So here's kind of to finish off and summarize, then we're going to go piece by piece by piece with how to make this work to have refuge and happiness trusting. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So this is hope that's extended to every person to choose to trust, to choose to listen, to choose to be on the right side, the side of the Son, the anointed King, so that you can experience a blessing, a blessedness, the experience of happiness, even in the midst of a raging world. Very important to get a hold of this. So let's get a hold of this, point number five. How do we find refuge in a world of rage. How do we find refuge in a world of rage? So that last section which summarized the instructions to those of us who need to choose to trust, we're going to take it piece by piece and talk that through now. Psalm 2.10. So now, kings, be wise, receive instruction. So now, king, be wise, receive instruction. Now, if you recall Genesis, Adam and Eve were told to take dominion and to rule and reign over the earth as God himself has demonstrated what it looks like for a godly ruling and reigning over them and to rule and reign over the earth underneath the sovereign God. They're not self-sovereign, only God is self-sovereign and we are then to reign according to God's rule and reign, and give him honor and glory to his name. Listen, sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, we are kings and queens. We are urged to rule and reign, to bring order to our worlds. And we have little kingdoms we live in. And we're not self-sovereign. We are to what? So now kings, and let me say, and queens, be wise Receive instruction. Now, the psalmist, of course, is writing to all the raging kings, literal kings of kingdoms, raging against Israel and raging against God's anointed and raging against God. 
And he's urging, while there's still time, switch sides. Bring yourself under the sovereignty because God has ordained that his king is on the throne and his king's name is Jesus. Switch sides. Get out from underneath hovering over the negative stuff that's got you raging and come underneath the trusting of the Lord Jesus Christ and take refuge there. He's not surprised by the trouble in the world. Take refuge in him and you will be happy. The second piece we look at is in verse 11. Serve the Lord with reverential awe. Serve the, world, the Lord with reverential awe. And some translation will, re, will read, serve the Lord with fear. I think that some translations are struggling to put what the regular word is, which is fear, because now that you're in this trusting relationship with the Lord, you, you, it's not, I'm not afraid of God, and yet, let's be careful to understand that the word there is fear. And reverential awe is a way of translating this tension of what it means to trust and to fear. And so I want to just talk that through a little bit. In the winter, and so today, <laughs> and throughout this season, and maybe we're coming to the end of it as things warm up, uh, by choice, we warm up our house with a wood-burning stove. I just love the ambiance. I, I love the warmth. I love the glow. I love to sit in, in before the Lord in the morning and, and have just this warm, crackling fire uh, warming the house and spending time there. As I prepare that fire, there is care taken as well as appreciation of that fire. Fire is something that is both comforting and cozy and dangerous. And be, to be in right relationship with fire is the kind of fear we're talking about. God is comforting and cozy when you're in the right relationship with him. In the wrong relationship with him, you can be outside of his, the realm of cozy and warmth and freeze to death. And that's what the fire is very helpful for out in the, out in the woods. When it's way below zero, you need a fire. And you need close proximity to the fire, but not too close. Because fire is dangerous. And you have to have that reverential awe that's just, I'm, it's, it's such a great thing. And God is such a great being to be in right relationship with. If you're in a wrong relationship with God, it's because it's all about you. You might be in a wrong relationship with God because you think you are worthy of God and you get too close. And you buddy-buddy up with God as if it's all about you. Or you might be too far because you feel unworthy of God and you're too far all the time because I'm unworthy of God. And I hear it from people that say, I can't really come to church because the roof will cave in and those kinds of things. They feel unworthy that God would not have them. And we need to see this whole thing from God's perspective, not from an overemphasis, it's all about me. Whether it's your, your faith, if it's all about you, you could be out of whack in terms of where you are in proximity to God and the effect God has on you. You should be right there where it's warm 
and comforting and cozy and a refuge under the protection of the goodness of God through Jesus. And if it's somewhere too far or too close, we need to adjust. And that's what this reverential awe, this fear, is all about. In verse 11, if we continue the sentence, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Now that's an odd combination of words. Rejoice with trembling. I mean, I suppose you could be so excited about something, it's like, oh, I can't wait to get it. I can't wait, I can't wait. You know, tremble with adrenaline. I've been there, right? I can't wait, I can't wait. Start trembling with adrenaline. But I don't think that's what it's talking about because we've just been in this fear as being the word. And so making sense of what we are talking about is this get out of this thing where it's all about you and you don't ever tremble before the holy, holy almighty because you don't really focus on the holy almighty. It's just focusing on you and what the almighty can give you and bring you and how dare he not bless you and you're so worthy and you start raging against God right? Watch out. You're out of whack in your thinking. It's all about you. Take a look at the bigger picture from God's vantage point. Or if you're out in the cold, it's all about you. I'm so unworthy. I can never come before God. I can Get your eyes on Jesus. He died for you. It's his worthiness that brings you in and he welcomes you in. Sit with me in the comfort. Sit with me in the refuge. I am your refuge. This is warm. This is glorious. Our God is loving and powerful and is able to do this for you. And make sure you understand, I took the fires of hell, the fires you deserve, and they're extinguished for you if you are in me. It's about me. And so getting a hold of this, rejoicing with trembling, it comes together when you get to be God-focused and Jesus-focused and less about you. It's like, whoa, this thing is so powerful. And it's not a thing. It's, this God is so powerful. Verse 12, pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry And you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite. So this whole thing about the fire, um, it's not just metaphor that I made up. Um, Flare up, burn, kindle, consume, destroy, that's all right there in the word about God's being. God himself is a being that is holy, that you need to be in right relationship with, and if you're in wrong relationship with, watch out, it can ignite and flare up, and it is not what we're talking about. We're talking about God's justice has got a forbearance and a grace in it, but there comes a time in the future, and it isn't here yet, when the world crosses the line and has been crossing the line, and time is over, and the age of grace is done, and the Lord Jesus Christ comes back with all glory. He's so glorious, he almost burns your eyes and your retinas with the glory of who he really is and judges. And some people hate that about Christianity. How dare God judge? How can that be a loving God? 
Listen, I'm just going to read something I wrote down. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer of sin, which is eating out the insides of the human race that he loves with his whole being. He ignited judgment fire. His ignited judgment fire is like applied radiation to eliminate evil. And those who are by free choice in their own bent towards evil, rejecting him and all that is good. In his kingdom, there comes a day when his sheer holy goodness takes over. People need to repent while there's still time to do so. God is gracious and will save people even at hell's door if they will turn to him before it's too late. Before that day, that judgment day, when it, his anger ignites and the time is up. We need to put ourselves in proper relationship with God and we cannot do it on our own. We cannot make our lives clean enough to get ourselves in right relationship with God. We cannot try hard enough to get ourselves in right relationship with God. We have to trust what God has done in providing his son. I have put my son, the anointed one, and installed him as king, and he set his kingdom into motion. He's going to reign and rule over your own life and put things in order, but you have to trust him. Choose which side? Rage? or trust? Will you trust what I've promised? I've promised that I will install my king. There's raging all about you. You can choose to begin to rage with the ragers, or you can choose to trust the promise, the prophecy, which we have this amazing track record of promises and prophecies that have already been fulfilled that brings us up to our current point in time where we're still waiting for the ultimate mop-up operation and fulfillment of it all at the king's return. The fourth phrase Verse 12, pay homage to the sun. In some translations, we read, kiss the sun. And we kind of lose kind of the meaning of this if you don't get the context of kings and kingdoms. Maybe you've seen movies where somebody bows to a king and kisses uh, the, the ring on the king's hand or kisses the hand or the queen and bows in homage and kisses. It's a proper reverence and honor and respect do the office of king, even in earthly terms, but now we're talking about the Son of God, the Messiah. Pay homage to the Son, the Anointed One, or He will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. But we have here reverence and intimacy. Paying homage to the Son. Intimacy, kissing, drawing near, but it's, it's that not so near that it's irreverent, but it's near in that comfort zone of a right relationship through Jesus Christ. Bask in the warmth of the reconciled relationship with God through Jesus, who died for your sins to take it away, who took on hell and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, he, and the answer is you and me is why. 
And the fifth phrase, how, how do we find this happiness? Uh, All who take refuge in him are happy. So it confuses us. So how do you do that? How do you take refuge in him? Well, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it phrase by phrase by phrase. And in Psalm, I'll just say the five phrases again on the screen. Here they are. Be wise, receive instruction. We have the instruction. Focus on the instruction. Meditate on this instruction. Allow this to inform your relationship with God. Serve the Lord with reverential awe. Rejoice with trembling. Hold that tension. He is holy. He's the Almighty. He is just and He is gracious. Hold that tension. We are safe in the tension if we are in the Son, Jesus Christ. Pay homage to the Son. Take refuge in Him. This is the gospel in Psalm 2. Good news. All who take refuge in Jesus are happy. You need a refuge. Outside of Jesus, there is danger now, and there is death and doom later. Taking refuge in Jesus, there is safety forever and great joy now. Take refuge. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and keep steering yourself to him. Do this over and over as the very center of your life. You have to choose where you helicopter and hover. If you're not choosing where you helicopter and hover, the world will choose for you where you helicopter and hover. And your center will be off-center and your life will be miserable and you'll be a part of the ragers. Choose to helicopter and hover around Jesus Christ as the center of your life and you're going to experience greater and greater degrees of blessedness, which is an experienced happiness, the right kind of happy before God. And if you're struggling with happy, I would encourage you to come and ask for prayer. It's like just saying, I admit, I'm struggling. Jesus, I'm helicoptering around you. I'm coming to you. Would you help me? And so those of you who are leaders, we don't have the uh, prayer team organized right now, so this is the audible again. Put on your mask if you're a leader and you're willing to pray for somebody up here. If you uh, don't have a mask, we invite you to pray. Your needs are great, and we would be happy to pray with you. Uh, If you have a mask, wear one. That'd be great too. And we'll be happy to pray with you. Next week, we come to an exciting conclusion of this series in Psalm 34 with the same phrase, blessed or happy are. And it's just going to be a dynamic uh, release of our fears as we just settle into a confidence in the Lord. Hope to see you back next week. I invite you to prayer to this side of the stage.